Good morning. It is good to see you this morning. We are, as always, thrilled to have you here with us, thankful to the God of heaven who's blessed us again, and he continues to bless us and continues to be so good to us. I'd like for you to think just a moment about something you cannot live without, something that is absolutely essential to your life. Because when we are reading Scripture, and the presentation of Christ in Scripture is that he is that something, that he is that someone that you and I cannot live without Jesus. In fact, Jesus would say it rather plainly in John chapter 15. He would say to his apostles, disciples there, without me, you can do nothing. In that section, he refers to himself as the, uh, the branch, the father is the husbandman, and every branch that abides in him, that's what Jesus' says life is. And he, he's saying similar things here in the book of John in chapter 8. If you have your Bibles this morning, you turn with me to John chapter 8. We'll study the, our second section of Scripture. If you were here last week, and you know that we talked about the first 11 verses and Jesus being the light of man's heart. Nothing is hid before him. Everything is open and laid bare with him. And so this second section, John chapter 8, verses 12 to 18, Jesus is going to refer to himself as the light of the world. And that's our point this morning. It shows the preeminence of Jesus. Jesus is essential for life. In fact, you cannot live without him. That's his position. In verse number 12, he's going to make that announcement. We'll look at that verse. But he also says the same thing in chapter 9 and verse number 5. There he says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. We talked last week just by way of quick review about some benefits of light. Maybe you remember that light enables things to grow, it warms us from the cold, it takes away darkness, illuminates our path, helps us find things, comforts us, puts us at ease, it heals, and it gives life. And those are just some of the benefits of life. And now, with those things in mind, would you apply them spiritually to Jesus? That Jesus to your spiritual man does all of those things and more. Three points we'll notice this morning, beginning in verse number 12. Two of them are actually there, and then we'll talk about verses 13 to 18 and make some application to ourselves. The first is Christ's proclamation. That's the first part of verse number 12. He simply announces, then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. And remember, if you will, back last week we talked about the purpose of the book. And he's trying to do that here again. He's trying to move the Jews to belief in him. And that by believing, they could actually then live and ultimately have life eternal. John wrote in chapter 20 of his book, verse 30 and 31, that truly many other things did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Now, we didn't note this last week, but we'll notice it this week. If you have your Bibles, look over in chapter 21 and verse 25. As John nears the end of writing this book, John makes another statement about the things that Jesus did. And on this occasion, John says, the last verse, verse 25, and there are also many other things that Jesus did. But this time, he doesn't say if they were written. He says, in fact, they couldn't all be written. He says, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that could be written. 
to have some concept in and appreciation of what we do have written, you should compare it to the fact that John says, if we did try to write down everything that Jesus did in detail, the world couldn't contain the books. And so from that vast amount of material, John says, but these are written that you might believe. God wants you to believe that Jesus Christ is the divine Son of God. He doesn't want you to believe that simply as a mental exercise. He doesn't want you to accept that as a fact. He wants that to move your life to obedience to Him, to walk with Him, and ultimately reap the benefit of your life being saved now and eternally. The Jews were God's chosen people, and that's why they're first. And that's who he's talking to. In fact, in much of your New Testament, especially as it relates to the gospel accounts, but even beyond that, it is the case that the material is primarily to the Jews first. And that is because of who they were in the relationship they had sustained with God for 1,500 years. They were God's chosen. He called them out of the nation of Egypt. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, 4 and 7, Moses talks about their importance and significance. And he says there's never been a nation like this nation, that God has never gone into one nation and taken out another nation for himself. But he did do that for Israel. That's their significance and importance. As you work your way through the Bible, it shows up frequently that that is the primary, at least the first point of emphasis. And they would have relished in that. They understood that. Christ came to his own, John chapter 1 and verse number 12. Now, one could argue, well, Eric, his own is humanity. I wouldn't disagree with that. Certainly he did. And he came to the Jews as a Jew and a human and to us, certainly so. But he came to them. In fact, he would say in John chapter 4, verses 19 to 22, when talking to the woman at the well about their religions, she said, our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you say in Jerusalem is where men ought to worship. Jesus would eventually say to her, you worship, you know not what. We know what we worship for. Salvation is of the Jews. And so it's with that emphasis that Jesus keeps coming to them and trying to help them believe and come to obey the gospel. Unfortunately, their rejection of Jesus will leave many of them outside of the kingdom, and they will watch as individuals who were Gentiles come into the kingdom and sit and sup with Abraham, and they'll be the ones in paradise while the Jews miss out. And it happened, unfortunately, just like that. You can hear Paul's pleas from a Jewish perspective in Romans 9, 10, and 11, where he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. He means exactly that. Paul wanted the Jews to be saved. God wanted them to be saved. Jesus wanted them to be saved. He came to them, and they unfortunately rejected him. Part of that rejection is that being first did not mean only. And so while he came to them first, and while the gospel went to them first, it was never them only. It always had the world in mind. And so John 3, 16, the Bible says, for God so loved the world. He doesn't say God so loved the Jews. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It became a real issue for them that God would be interested in someone other than them. 
Even here, Jesus doesn't say, I am the light of the Jews. He says, I am the light of the world. And what Jesus is trying to emphasize is his singular importance. What is it that you can live without in your life? I hope Jesus was the answer. I hope Jesus was the one thing I cannot live without because that's his position. I am the light of the world. I am and no other. In fact, John chapter 1, if you would take the time to read that first chapter, we really emphasize the first three verses, especially as we open up the book and began, and that's right, because it demonstrates who he is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Verse number 4 says, that the, the word, that this one that came into the world, that he came and he is the light of life. In him was life. That's what the Bible says. And the life was the light of men. In verse number 9, it says with regards to Jesus, he is the true light and he lights every man who enters the world. Jesus is the light of the world. That's the first point, and that's his proclamation in verse number 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. The second thing here in verse number 12 is that Jesus tells them the provisions that he provides. As a result of being the light of the world, he says, these things follow. The end of verse number 12, he says, he that follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world, and so Christ provides illumination. All of those things that light gives, Jesus gives for the soul, comfort and warmth and uh, the, the rejection or taking away of darkness, the easing, and all of those blessings and benefits, they come from Jesus. Christ rids the world of darkness, but spiritually, it would be the darkness of ignorance, the darkness of dishonesty, the darkness of confusion, walking and living in darkness, the darkness of bondage to sin. In fact, Jesus will say later in this chapter, I'll make you free. Jesus provides illumination. Secondly, he provides direction. Jesus says, he who follows me will never walk in darkness. It's important that we learn the Bible in a, a well enough to talk in Bible terms, to talk like the Bible talks. We know what walking is. We go out, sometimes people say, I'm going for a walk. Someone else might say, well, where are you going? Let me ask you this, what part of you do you take on the walk? If you say your whole self, okay, and great then, you understand now what it means biblically to walk. It means your whole self. It means the direction you're going. It means the actions you're involved in. It means the thought processes that lead you down the actions and down the back. When it says walk, it's talking about your whole life and the manner in which you're comporting that life. And what Jesus says is you can do that in darkness or light. But if you follow me, he who follows me will never walk. In darkness, everybody believes something, and everybody follows somebody. 
And this belief and following begins to determine our walk. You ever heard somebody tell you, ooh, you know what, I've been reading, and then they tell you who they've been reading? Oh, man, I've been following. Let me show you what they said. You know what they're also telling you? I follow them. I share their beliefs. I'm a part of that thought process that leads that direction. I follow that, and I think so much of it, I'd like to share it with you. Why? So you can also follow and believe and walk. You know, that sounds real biblical. Because if you follow me, what are you to do? Go into all the world and do what? You share what you believe. You share what you follow. You're going to tell them about Jesus. You're going to tell them who you follow, what you believe, and why they should do the same. Everybody does this. It's just a matter of who do you follow and what do you believe. And friends, if it's not Jesus, there are subject matters then that are going to be really complicated for you. There are parts of life that are suddenly going to be very difficult to explain. For instance, what do you believe about God? Who you're following and what do they say? What, what do you believe about Jesus? Who are you following and what do they say? What do they believe and what do they say? And what are you following with reference to Jesus? What about Scripture? You know, there, in the end, it doesn't end up being that many options. Either Jesus is the divine Son of God or He's not. Either Scripture is the inspired Word of God or it's not. There aren't that many options, but you're going to believe something about all of these things, about yourself and about mankind. Amazing to me, some people have followed individuals who led them to believe that humans are animals. I've seen animals in my life. They don't look anything like humans. I've watched them act, nothing like humans. I'm completely convinced that the human is not an animal. That there's a great difference between the two, and I know what it is. He's made in the image of God, and that dog is not. And you can care for that dog if you want to, but it's not a human, and it's not made in the image of God. But you believe something about everything, about life, about death, about eternity, about heaven, about hell, about judgment. What do you believe? Here's what Jesus is saying. If you follow me, all of this will be illuminated for you. You will have clarity and light on all of this and more. In fact, Jesus says, if you follow me, you'll note the phrase. He says, you will never walk in darkness. It's not the only time he uses that phrase. What Jesus is saying is, if you follow me, you won't need anything else. If you follow me, you won't need anybody else. If you follow me, there's nothing beyond me for you. There's nothing. You'll be satisfied, satiated, and you will never again walk in darkness. Your soul will be at last fulfilled in me. To the woman at the well, when they were discussing water, Jesus said to her in John 4 and verse 14, if you drink of the water that I have, you will never thirst. To the individuals, when it came to manna, John chapter 6, bread from heaven, Jesus says, I'm the bread. And if you eat of me, if you drink of me, you will never hunger. There is no soul that's ever unsatisfied when it eats Jesus. There's no soul thirsty beyond Jesus. The soul is satisfied. In fact, that's what he says 
Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your soul. Your soul will find satisfaction in me. If you follow me, you'll never walk in darkness. Thursday, he says, if you follow me, you'll have security for your life. He who will have the light of life is how he describes it. The light of life. How long will you have this? For your life. Which one? That's an interesting thought because in Scripture, when you come to Jesus, your life begins with the new birth, and then it walks into an abundant life, and it goes on into eternal life. And insofar as Christ is concerned, that transition is never interrupted by anything but life. The only thing that death does is open the door from the physical to the eternal. But this person lives an abundant life now. In fact, Jesus said, that's why I came. John chapter 10 and verse number 10, he said, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That abundant life begins when you obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. It extends throughout the duration of your life. You finish well even when death comes for this person. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. I love what I read somebody many years ago. Somebody said, you know, you cannot have a shadow without light. Wait a minute. It's the valley of the shadow of death? Yes. Why don't I fear? There's light there. Because I'll never leave you nor forsake you. When you walk and come to Jesus, you will have the light of life. Thirdly, verses 13 to 18, the Jews disagree. And so Christ provides proof of everything he said. The proclamation in the first half of verse number 12, the provisions in the second half of verse number 12, and now there's proofs for those claims. Verses 13 and 18, this discussion breaks out. I call it a legal discussion because that's what happens. The Jews challenge his testimony. In fact, that's what they say first in verse number 13. After hearing the events in verse number 12, the Bible says, So the Pharisees said to him, You are testifying about yourself. Your testimony cannot be true. At last, we got you. You can't say you are without someone else to corroborate that. And that is the law. That one person cannot testify in a Jewish court. No, sir, we got you at last. Now, the Lord responds, verse 14, 15, and 16, the Lord responds. And at first, his response is rather terse and pointed. Verse number 14, Jesus answered and said to them, even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I come from and where I come from, and, and I know where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. So it sounds as if Jesus is trying to evade the question. In fact, it sounds like he's being rather belligerent. You can't say that. Even if I do, it's true. <laughs> That's the way it reads. Now, it might feel that way and be that way if it were just humans talking to humans. But do appreciate that the one they're talking to is God in the flesh. The one they're talking to is the Word. 
The one they're talking to is divine in his nature. The one they're talking to cannot lie. In fact, he will later refer to himself as the truth. And so everything he said was true. Even if I did only testify by myself, it would still be true because I know. And since I know, well, it would be true. But he does return back to the point, and he does entertain them, as God so often does with mankind. He says in verse 15, here's the real problem. You judge according to the flesh, but I am judging no one. You remember last week we talked about the book. In fact, we looked at chapters 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. About each time our Lord taught something, they misunderstood it because they kept thinking physically. They kept thinking that the, the, the temple was the structure and not his body, that, that the new birth was a man entering a second time and not born of water and the Spirit. The, the water is in the well and not his word, and on and on. And when Jesus says it again here, you judge according to the physical. You're missing the point. Happens so frequently. But he does return to the courtroom. He does return to the legal argument. And as God is so often wont to do, he tells us what the facts are, even in the case they presented. And so in verse number 16, he says, but even if I do judge, my judgment is true, back to their point, for I am not alone. Their point was, you can't say that because one person can. Jesus, okay, fine. It would be true, verse 14. You're missing it, verse 15, but let's return back to the point. If that's the line of argument you want to go down, okay, great. But listen, I'm not alone. I'm not alone, but I am the Father who sent me. And so, I have two. The law was you needed at least two to testify. Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 15, the Bible says, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime, for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. And so that's their point, to which Jesus returns and says, okay. If it's a matter of needing two, then I and my Father, now there are two. We should note these words and what they mean, though. Notice again in verse number 14 how frequently they use this legal jargon to describe the events. Verse number 14, they said to him, uh, 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 verse number 13, your testimony is not true. Verse 14, Jesus says, but if I testify of my, myself, my testimony is true. Verse 15, you judge, again, judging, end of the verse. Verse 16, my judgment is truth. And then in verse 17, the testimony of two men. These words, they're very close in their meaning. One's a noun, one's a verb. And so, this idea of witness means to bear testimony or testify, to be a witness to affirm that one has seen or heard or experienced something or that he knows it to be true by divine revelation. And so imagine somebody coming in to be a witness. I've seen it. I know it's true. I want to testify that what I've seen is the case. You're a witness. And so here having this discussion, they're talking about witnessing. You can't do that. You need at least two. You need two to testify. You need the judicial evidence. It's that which you bring to the proceeding. 
The office, it goes on to say, the committed to the prophets testifying concerning future events. What we learn about Jesus with regards to his claim is that he had the proper number of witnesses. But he, he had more than that. This is the great thing about God and about Jesus. Verse number 18, it says, I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. And so we should be able to close the case we have two witnesses, two testimonies, and therefore, it should be sufficient. But Jesus had more than two. Turn back to chapter 5 in this book and notice what our Lord says there. In John chapter 5, notice first of all, verse number 31 and verse 32, verse 30 down to verse 32. Jesus says, I can do nothing of my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. Okay, fine. That you, well, one can't do it. But again, he says, there is another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. He just said the Father testifies. But listen, notice what he says next. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. You have to go back to chapter 1 and read when they sent to John, and they said to John, are you that prophet? And John said, no. John says, I'm the one running ahead. There is one coming after me whose shoe latcher I'm not worthy to unloose. He is preferred before me, for he was before me. Chronologically, you should know that John is older than Jesus, and so by way of physical birth, John was first, but that's not what he means. John means he was preferred before me because he was before me because he's eternal. He is in the beginning was the word. John knows that of him. And so John says, I'm not him, but I know he is. He's coming. In fact, the next day, John saw Jesus and said, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. What Jesus says in chapter 5 is, you sent to John, and he witnessed. He testified about me. But, verse 34, the testimony which I receive is not for man. But I say these things so that you may be saved. You're the one struggling with how many testimonies I have. You're the one struggling with how many witnesses I have. So I'm telling you, there are more witnesses. But keep reading. He says of John, he was that lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his sight. But he continues, the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. What works? In fact, they must have been of such a nature that when Nicodemus came to Jesus in chapter 3, in verse number 2, he says this, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know. Have y'all been talking about me? Yes. We have. We've been talking about you. Here's our conclusion. We know that you have come from God as a teacher. How do you know? For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. 
What's Jesus saying in John chapter 5? The works that I do testify. How many witnesses are we up to? Well, we had John testify, and now we have the works testifying. We've already mentioned it, but notice verse 37 of chapter 5. He says, and the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice nor seen his, his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, but you do not believe him who he sent. Well, under two or three witnesses, the word was to be established. Well, that's fine. I'm one. John's another. The works are another. The five, we're up to four witnesses. Surely that's sufficient. But you know what Jesus said? There's more. In verse 39 of chapter 5, Jesus says, you, you search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. By the possession of those scriptures, that you have them makes you have eternal life. Jesus said, no, friends, if you'd actually read them, they are they, or these are they, which testify of me. When you're reading your Old Testament, Jesus is saying you're reading the testimony. The scriptures are loudly, clearly testifying. What? That I am who I say that I am. You should believe that. He closes this section down in verse 46 by saying, For if you believe Moses, I would imagine they, they thought they believed Moses. But interestingly, Jesus says, If you had believed Moses, you would believe me. Why? For he wrote of me. But you do not believe his writings. How will you believe my words? You know, later in the book of Acts. When you and I open up the book of Acts and we start reading, you will hear the apostles continually say, we are witnesses. They said, we are witnesses of him. And what that moves them to do is testify. We know who he is. In fact, they saw him. Acts chapter 1, you began reading that book. What you'll find is that Jesus spent 40 days with his apostles after his resurrection, speaking to them about the things pertaining to the kingdom. They saw the resurrected Christ. You remember Thomas, if I see his hands, I see that he saw him. They handled him. They talked to him. Paul says he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. Last of all, he was seen of me as one born out of due time. They saw him, and so when they go out and preach the gospel, Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, Jesus said, you will receive power after that the Holy Ghost come upon you, and ye shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the other most parts of the world. When they began to preach the gospel, that's what they began to say that we are testifying, we are telling you these things, and we're witnesses. In fact, you remember in Acts chapter 4 and chapter 5, when, when they're threatened, they're told, don't you preach anymore in this man's name, they respond by saying, we can't help but preach and teach what we've seen and heard. We couldn't help it. We have to be witnesses. This word, witness, is an interesting word because it goes back to the idea, and it actually means martyr. And when we hear the word martyr, Fox's Book of Martyrs and other things and works like that, we, we think of people like Polycarp and others, a disciple of John and others in the first century who gave up their life for Jesus. So the word martyr has become 
uh, to mean one who gives his life for Jesus. And that's true. He, he gives his life for the Lord, would not recant. But it actually started out meaning a witness, one who testifies. Now, the connection is your testimony ended up costing you your life. If you refuse to recant, if you refuse to give Jesus up, if you refuse to renounce him, we will kill you. And so your witness came and cost you your life, but it was your witness that led to this martyrdom. That's the idea. Jesus is saying, listen, there are plenty of testimonies, plenty to testify, and it came to cost the early church their lives for that testimony. Jesus is the light of the world. You know, if the Jews were interested in this conversation and others are believing, one would think, yeah, you need at least two witnesses. Great. And then I and the Father, that should be sufficient. But there's John. There's the works. There's the Scripture. There's Moses. How many would you need if you wanted to believe what you end up running into it's not the case that there's not enough evidence it's not a case that there's not enough testimony it is the fact that if you don't want to believe in Jesus you just don't want to believe in Jesus Jesus is the light of the world but he's more than that it seems to be the case in scripture that God tries to reach man in any number of ways I heard one preacher say if you like the city then heaven's the city and if you like the country then it's the country It'll come to you either way. However it helps you, whatever you need, God is trying to get you to get there. And so if the light of the world, that doesn't do it for you, Jesus says, I'm the door. You ever been on the outside trying to get in? Jesus said, I'm the door. If you come through me, you'll get there. Someone say, well, I'm not the door. You know what? Have you ever been lost? Have you ever wandered about and feel like you didn't know? Jesus says, I'm the shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. I will shepherd your soul. I will come find you, my sheep, and I will lead you in the pastures. I'll lead you the right way. I'm the good shepherd. Maybe you don't know the way. Jesus said, I'm the way. Maybe you don't know what to believe. Jesus says, I'm the truth. I'm the life. Maybe you're hungry. After righteousness, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Friends, the point is simply this. Jesus is everything. And Jesus is the only thing you need for your soul. Amen. Let's make some quick application, and the sermon will be yours. Number one, every person needs Christ for his life. Sometimes when you're a member of the Lord's body, the world just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. I don't know why it does that. It just has tendency to do that. And sometimes you're just inundated with enough error and enough stuff in the world that after a while you just be like, okay. Hey, friends, listen, there's no person in existence on this planet that doesn't need Jesus. You just need to be reminded of that. You might say, well, Eric, there's plenty of people without Jesus. Also true. But don't confuse the fact that people can reject Jesus with whether or not they need Jesus. You see, people reject things that they need all the time. It doesn't mean they don't need it. You ever had or met a person who needed good financial advice because you've seen the way they're spending their money? 
You need good financial advice. You know what they do? They reject it. The rejection of it doesn't take away the need. You ever met somebody with needing good health advice? You know, you could really use some good advice on, on, on being healthy. Eh, the fact that you reject it doesn't mean you didn't need You ever met a person need good marital advice? Oh, man, y'all need some counseling. Well, we ain't going to get none. That's fine. Don't mean you don't need it. Don't mean you don't need it. The fact that you can reject Jesus does not mean you don't need Jesus. It sadly means you have not chosen to accept and come and submit to Jesus. We should add very quickly with regards to that. When you reject things you need, you do that to your own detriment. While you can reject Jesus, you cannot reject Jesus without consequence. A person can say we don't want marital advice doesn't mean it's not going to be detrimental to the marriage. I don't want financial advice doesn't mean it's not going to be harmful to the wallet. You can say, I don't want Jesus, but you cannot do that without consequence. What happened to these individuals that didn't accept and obey the gospel of Jesus? What happened to those who rejected Jesus? It would cost them their physical lives if they were alive in AD 70 inside of that city, and it would cost them their eternal souls if they'd left here without Jesus. Number two, without Christ, everyone walks in darkness. If not Jesus, then what? You know, in chapter 6 of this book, Peter was asked, will you also go away and the other apostles? To which Peter responded, Lord, to whom shall we go? You know, if you're going to reject Jesus, would you please write something in the space? If you're going to reject Jesus, to whom shall you go? Peter said, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. And if you reject Jesus, friends, where do you go for salvation? Where do you go for life? Where do you go for your soul? Where do you go for heaven and hell? Where do you go? And friends, you're going to walk in darkness if you reject Jesus. You will walk in darkness now, and eventually you will walk to your own doom. Somebody says, well, God won't send anybody to hell. The God I know, the God I serve, he wouldn't send anybody. Friends, he won't have to send anybody to hell. You're going to go all by yourself. If you reject Jesus, you're deciding to go to hell. God has a, a way to avoid hell, and that way is Jesus. If you reject the only way God provides, he won't have to send you anywhere. Number three, Christ's sphere of authority and rule is the whole world. No one is exempt from Jesus' rule and authority. Jesus didn't say, I'm the light of those who accept me. Jesus didn't say, I'm the light of some portions of people. He said, I am the light of the world. You are subject to Jesus no matter what. You can choose to reject him. It doesn't mean you're not subject to him. In fact, the, the, the grace of God, the mercy of God allows the rejection and while you're rejecting, the goodness of God pleads for you to turn and come to him. But you're responsible and accountable to God. In fact, Jesus is going to judge you for your rejection of him. John chapter 12 and verse 48, this very book, Jesus said, He that rejected me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. 
the words that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. How do I know you're accountable? He can't judge you if you're not. Have you ever seen someone, now don't go back too far, because there's a time when this was okay. That time has probably passed. So if we went back two or three generations, somebody could stand up here and say, yeah, the whole neighborhood could whoop me two, three generations ago. They're not saying that today, are they? Mm -mm. What happens to a family when the parents hear, who hit you? Oh, the neighbor three doors down spanked me. Oh, really? What do y'all do then? Y'all go visit the neighbor three doors down? Take your Christianity with you now when you go down there. <laughs> we understand when people are not under your authority, you don't judge them. What does it say to you when Jesus says, if you reject me, I will judge you? The word I spoke will judge you. He's telling you, you're under my jurisdiction even if you reject me. Number four, Jesus is not one of many options. He is not one of many religious leaders. He is not one of many saviors. When you hear Jesus talk, it is always, especially with reference to himself, it is always exclusive. It is always only. It is never open to anybody or anything else. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. There is no other light. I'm it. Jesus says, I am, I have the living water. If you come to me, you'll never thirst. If you drink and eat of me, you'll never hunger. I am the way, the truth, the life. Listen, he is not one of many options. He's exclusive and preeminent. God witnessed to it. You know, all of this talk in this section John testified. We could say, well, John the Baptist was a great man, and if John testified to it, it's true. Okay, great. But Jesus said, I had a greater witness than that of John. My testimony is not from men. Jesus said, the Father has testified. You know, for Jesus not to be Jesus, both the Father and the Christ have to be dishonest. Both the Father and the Christ have to be liars, and that can't be telling the truth. And here is God and Christ saying, he is and I am. Jesus says, God testified to it. Finally, this, Jesus Christ is the light of the world and of every life. If you believe Jesus, you are choosing life. The blessings abound now and on into eternity. Friends, if you believe Jesus, you are choosing eternal life. There is this scene this idea of a courtroom, and you hear it frequently in Scripture. It's talked about in, in legal jargon. It's frequently used. There is the law, and there's guilt, and, and then there's judgment, and there's witnesses, and there's testimonies. And all of that ultimately is to put into our minds that on some level and at some point, you and I, when we commit sin, in sending Jesus to the cross, God doing that, we were guilty. And as a result of that, the blood of Jesus will satisfy the wrath of God so that when we at last meet 
God can be okay with us accepting of us because of the sacrifice and blood of Jesus. And so in a very real sense, it's, it's like we, we come before God as, as either guilty or pardoned. We stand in his courtroom, and, 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 and as we do that, then if you, if you arrive there without Jesus, what will you say? If you arrive there without Jesus, you're guilty and the, the judgment must be given. But what if you arrive with Jesus? This is the, the force and blessing of choosing Jesus. If you arrive there with Jesus, then when God sees you, the Bible describes Jesus as being your counsel. Jesus as in a courtroom, sitting at the table with you, being your representation. Jesus being the advocate on your behalf to the Father. The John says that he's writing these things that we sin not, but if any man do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Imagine standing in that courtroom and God's talking to you and then Jesus standing for you, covered by my blood. That person will have the light of life now and eternally. Friends, don't arrive on the shores of eternity. Don't go meet the God of heaven without Jesus. What's the one thing you can't live without? I don't know what your thought was about that. I can tell you what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying you cannot live without me. And maybe more importantly, do not die without me not a Christian this morning, you need to become one because you need Jesus. Please allow the goodness of God to lead you to repentance. Please think about the fact that God has given us yet another day, another opportunity, another occasion to choose him. Oh, we beg you to make the choice to come to Jesus and let him light your life this very morning. Believe that he is the Son of God. That's what this is all about. John chapter 8 and verse 24. Another sermon later in this very text, Jesus will say, if you believe not that I am, you will die in your sins, and where I am, you cannot come. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Repent. Change your heart. Change your mind. Come and allow that belief to move you to confess the name of Jesus. That would be John chapter 9 need to say what he's saying. Jesus says, I am the Son of God, and you and I need to confess and testify to the same fact. He is who he claimed to be, and I believe it. And then be baptized, immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. Be born again. Start your new life with Jesus. You'll never hunger. You'll never thirst. And you'll never walk in darkness again. If you are his child, hold on to Jesus. Get closer to Jesus, and let's keep walking with Jesus. If we can help you in any way, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.